Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for March 3rd, 2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Really happy you could join us. When Henrik Fisker started his first automaker in 2007, anchored by the Fisker Karma plug-in hybrid, the Tesla Model 3 wasn't even on the road. Fisker says few people knew how to plug in a car, and even fewer took notice of the Karma's vegan interior. By 2013, Fisker Automotive went bankrupt after its sole battery supplier went bust. Today, Tesla is the most valuable automaker in the world, and the EV market is filling up with familiar names such as Mercedes and Volkswagen, as well as startups such as the Danish-American car designer's new company, Fisker Inc., This time around, Fisker has made sure his company has a lot more capital, thanks to taking the company public in 2020, and it has what he calls the right partnerships with the right suppliers. That includes Chinese giant CATL, which will provide the batteries, and contract manufacturer Magnus Steyr, which will build Fisker's debut model, the Ocean Electric SUV. Fisker explains how Magnus Steyr met his challenge of developing the ocean in less than two and a half years, and how this so-called super-high-speed train of development is changing the status quo. Hi, Henrik. Thanks so much for being here today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Good to be here. Good to see you, Doug. With the arrival of the ocean, what are you hoping comes across loud and clear as the message about Fisker, about where you're going to be in the marketplace and what you want to be when it comes to a long-term player in the field? You know, we set out to really go into a different area of the EV market that I think most other companies are, are sort of attacking, if you want. It looks to me a little bit like that the luxury EV market is getting very crowded. Uh, I would say that if if I would ask somebody, can you name five cool EVs that cost around 100,000 euro? That would be pretty quick now to be able to mention five really cool EVs for 100,000 euro. But can you name name five cool EVs under 40,000 euro? That's a little more difficult. So that's the market we went into. Uh, Obviously, I have a background designing luxury vehicles for some amazing brands out there and we also designed a luxury vehicle in in Fisker 1.0 but at this point now we really looked at how can we set up an organization that works so efficiently and so effective that we actually can create an electric vehicle where we make money but it's affordable it's cool it's got the longest range in the segment it's got features that nobody else have so that's really sort of the stake in the ground we want to put. We want to come out there and take the lead and, and create exciting vehicles that, that people actually want to buy, uh, whether they get an incentive or not. So that was really the idea. And I think now, having uh, reached over 32,000 reservations on our ocean is quite amazing. And I think people uh, are starting to really see the differentiator, uh, the, the ocean, the different type of features we have and we have seen acceleration in in the uh in the reservation of 400 percent 
uh, this year on a day-to-day basis uh, since last year. Uh, and I think that really shows that people are starting to discover uh, all the amazing things that we offer with the ocean. You touch on something that's so important in that market, and that's affordability. So many of these cars are just completely out of reach when you actually dig down and you look at the number, even with financing plans and so on and so forth. When you're in that band of the thirty to 40000 whether it be euro or dollars, I mean, again, you can split the difference whichever way, but... That's a that that's really a sweet spot. What were some of the keys to doing that and getting in that band? You know, first of all, we have a very unique business model, which is an asset light business model. We're working closely with Magna on uh, manufacturing our vehicles. So, I think we didn't have to obviously spend a ton of money on building a new factory, etc., or divert people in that direction. Secondly, by having an asset light business model, we also don't have to put thousands of euro on top of each car to fund tens of thousands of people and buildings and all kind of stuff. So uh, again, being more of a a digital car company in this regard has helped us a lot. We are focusing on software development. Uh, I personally believe that we are going into an era now where cars are pretty much computer on wheels. Now, wheels are an important point because you can't carry five people unless you got some hardware and four wheels, obviously. So what we looked at, though, was how can we reinvent a little bit sort of the development process of how we develop a car and how we look at some of the uh, key attributes in a vehicle. So whenever anybody creates a vehicle, you always have an attribute list, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of, of areas where you want to be best and where you want to focus and every time you want to lead something in a segment, you're obviously going to have to put more money into it. But what, I th- what we have done at Fisker is we're looking at where we want to lead in a different way than probably anybody else when they uh, develop a vehicle. And that has allowed us to actually shift certain uh, investments and money into the car. So the unit, certain unit price of built the materials we are moving from one area to another area that we feel is more important. So, for example, uh, you know, we have the longest range in our price segment and for this type of vehicle, for an SUV. So, 630 kilometer range, not top model. And even the base model, 440 kilometers, and the middle model, six, just over 600 kilometers. So, the way we were able to do that was by uh, investing, of course, money in a very energy-dense battery pack, a very sophisticated powertrain uh, with a silicon carbide inverter, torque vectoring, etc. But then, of course, taking money out somewhere else in the vehicle uh, was important. And, and maybe some areas where traditionally you would have put a lot more money in, we took money out there. So we have found ways to kind of be very efficient with how we develop the vehicle. Uh, and I think that's, that's, for me, a key for our success that we can come out with these vehicles that have a very attractive price yet are class leading in many areas. How important was it for you to create that relationship you just talked about with Magna International and Magna Steyr and how is that working? We were obviously in a very unique moment in time and I think 2020 and 2021 when we look back 10 years from now will be seen as 
the kind of moment when the entire automotive industry shifted into a new era, not just of electrification, but also generally new technology, figuring out how to actually implement all this technology and figuring out how to work together and change together. And I think one of the things we did with Magna, which have not been easy all the time, but has worked really well, was trying to figure out how can we develop a vehicle in less than two and a half years. And why is that so important? The reason is that we wanted to put in the latest technology into our vehicle, and we adapted a little bit more the idea of how uh, the sort of, for example, smartphone uh, uh, industry is working, where you pick up and buy a brand new smartphone, an iPhone, for example, uh, that technology in that phone was decided probably only about 18 months ago when it's a brand new phone. So it feels like you have the latest technology. If you go and buy a car at the same time you buy that phone, the technology in that car might have been decided three or four years ago. So unfortunately, your car that maybe cost 50,000 euro now feels older technology-wise than your 800 euro iPhone. So we had to think differently about developing a vehicle because we wanted our vehicle to feel as high technology, if not more, than any other technology consumer product. So we had to, we had to compress the development time. We had to find out how, can we, how late can we decide to put new technology into the vehicle. So this was a, a very, uh, very, very tough process uh, that we worked on together with Magna to streamline this development process. And together with Magna, we also had to bring in suppliers and bring them with us on this super high-speed train of development. And that was not easy, but I think that everybody who worked on this program are benefiting from it because we are all learning how can we develop vehicles quicker. And I think that's going to be one of the keys to for sure our success. And I also think it will benefit our partners. Uh, I think we have really tried to perfect this speed with Magna. And uh, it's been tough and difficult at times, but in the end of the day, because we are both have vested interest in the success of this product, we have also seen that from both sides, despite difficulties, we keep coming together and we keep solving problems. We keep coming up with new ideas. Uh, it's definitely not easy to try and develop a car in record time, <laughs> by no means. And every, everybody in the car industry knows how difficult this is. But I think that uh, we're seeing the, the kind of fruit coming to fruition now. Um, so, so far, I will say it's, it's been an amazing uh, collaboration with Magna. And was that your idea to create a vested interest from them into, the, into your company? How did that play out? So I think it happened sort of uh, as we were negotiating with each other, so to speak, where we obviously Magna had not really ever, as far as I know, taken on a project this big with a startup company. And it was very important for them to have this to become a successful outcome because of course, both sides are in investing into a two and a half year program, which then ultimately will run another seven years. Therefore, I think that it became a natural thing to have this 
vested interests together. And we had to come up with some new ideas of how do we keep each other on the toes? How do we make sure this becomes successful? And of course, one of the other points about Magna is that it's an, you know, it's the world's third largest automotive supplier, but they have multiple other Magna companies, different suppliers, which we are working with. And I think uh, it helped us with some of these other suppliers and the speed uh, that everybody knows that, that Magna has a vested interest and therefore I think they all uh, kind of are jumping on the same bandwagon, so to speak, understanding that this has to go super fast, what we're doing, and kind of getting into this process. So I think it was a natural thing that came together as we went through negotiations, because in the end of the day, we both have to make this a super successful program. And do you see any opportunities going forward with plans to potentially take over an existing plant, whether it be in Europe or in North America, as the entire industry, as you mentioned, is going through this changeover, there might be opportunities where a plant might no longer be fit into the plans of General Motors or Stellantis or Volkswagen Group. Would that be an opportunity to expand production, or would you like to continue to stay asset light and, and continue to use contract manufacturers? Well, at this point in time, we have pretty clear strategy with Magna and the Fisker Ocean. And, you know, I think it's too early to speculate what we're going to do later. Uh, we have a lot on our plate right now. Magna has a lot of capacity possibilities at Steyr. Um, so I think we can invest into additional lines and we can up the capacity there if we need to. So I think that's something we're going to continue to monitor. Of course, we are seeing generally the industry is changing. I think that, in my view, the car industry got sort of into a little bit of a, uh, a mode of not having too much competition and everybody moving in the same speed and everybody got content with having maybe 20% overcapacity uh, available and everybody got content with, hey, it takes four or five years to develop a car and everybody got content with, hey, we just need to improve cars 3% every year and then everything is good. We just sell to our customers and everything runs smoothly. But of course, all this has been turned upside down with startup companies, with new technologies, with changing consumer habits. And I think with that in mind, I could see generally uh, a big change in the industry where uh, there might be collaborations happening in the future on something like manufacturing because in the end of the day, I think we're moving away from the point where a consumer really cares who actually manufactures your vehicle and where it's manufactured. Quite frankly, when you buy an iPhone, uh, I think most people think Apple makes it, but they don't, right? They don't mean any of their products and I don't think it matters and where they are made. So I think that this change we're going to start seeing in the car industry as well. We definitely need to see more efficiency. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, we have so much new competition coming up that people and companies have to be more efficient to be able to compete. You have spent your career in the industry working for companies like BMW, companies like Aston Martin, you have the benefit of taking that knowledge and some of the lessons learned there to apply to what you're doing right now. 
Can you tell me a little bit about how freeing that is in some ways, but also how terrifying that is because it all lands on your shoulders now? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the car industry is the most complex industry in the world and it's the most capital intensive. And there's a reason why we haven't seen big shifts in, in, in the car industry because it's such a high price of entry to get into this industry. And we only saw this shift when electrification happened. And now we are seeing acceleration of this shift because of digital, uh, the digital sales models of, uh, you know, I think changing consumer habits in terms of what they value in a car. So I think the advantage, of course, of being with a large traditional car maker is you have that giant machine where you can put in uh, certain definitions in one end and out of the other end suddenly comes a car and everything happens kind of pretty seamlessly because that's something they've done for the last 50 years the same way. However, going out and doing my own company and assemble a whole bunch of amazing talented people, some that are not even from the car industry, opens up new, new uh, ideas uh, it, it's open up for creativity in different ways, thinking out of the box. And that's really the only reason we, we are here because if we were doing the same as a traditional car company, there's no reason for us to be here. So we have to be different and we are different. And there's no doubt when you start from a clean sheet of paper, you obviously aren't bound by tradition. You aren't, you aren't bound by self-imposed rules and, and all kind of other things that comes with this heritage. And that's definitely an advantage that we have because we can go out and do things that is sort of almost unimaginable at a traditional automaker. When you first jumped into this mix, the world wasn't really ready and you are now getting a chance. One of the few people that I've ever known who gets a second chance to make a first impression. What are some of the things that you learned during that initial bid into the industry that have really helped you solidify your plan this time so that you feel like, okay, I mean, I am so rock solid and ready to go? Well, you know, there's several things. One, of course, we were extremely early out. Uh, I think people forget when we launched the Fisker Karma, it was actually a year ahead of the Tesla Model S, which uh, was kind of crazy when I think back about it. Uh, you know, people didn't even know how to plug in a car and, and, you know, all this stuff. Nobody cared that it had vegan interior and reclaimed wood and all that stuff. So we've come a long way since then. This is, you know, over 10 years ago. Uh, I, I think one of the, the critical things for me is capital and having the right partnerships with the right suppliers. And... Capital, obviously, we went public. We, in the meantime, have raised over $1.6 billion, uh, which uh, is enough to get our fiscal ocean to market uh, and also start some other programs. And being a public company means you have access to the, to the markets, which is obviously an advantage. Secondly, having the right suppliers for some of the most vital things. So, for example, Magna, as I mentioned, amazing company to work with and a great supplier and we know we're going to have a high quality car. I've already seen a lot of the parts I'm going to see uh, the prototypes we are working on uh, they're, they're being built at Magna at the moment. Uh, and then of course on the technology side having uh, a solid 
contract with uh, the world's largest battery maker, CHL, with a contract where with 12 months notice, we can increase production. I mean, they have 65 uh, gigawatt hour and we have five uh, out of that. So we are still a pretty good size customer. And I think that solidifying these partnerships is extremely important, specifically battery partner as well, because there is some of these areas where there can be a lack of supply uh, or where you don't have the right technology, uh, the latest technology. So these are the important things that we spent the last couple of years really creating these contracts and, and working with suppliers to make sure we have all this set up. Big news that's been happening of late was the cargo ship that caught fire in the Atlantic. And one of the issues was there are a number of electric cars on there, and that caused the fire to continue to, to burn because batteries burn differently than a combustion engine car. Do you foresee that this is potentially a situation where electric car makers such as yourself will have to say, okay, we need to have longer discussions with our logistics partners to make sure that our product is protected when it's being sent across the ocean? Or is this potentially just a, a one-off? So, Doug, I think that, first of all, I don't know this verified exactly how that fire started. Uh, it's clear that as of today, there is more, much more fires in combustion engine vehicles than electric vehicles. We even saw that back in the day with Fisco Karma, where people thought we had a, a battery fire, but we actually never did. We had a fire with an automotive fan. So, you know, I think that I'm not really worried about that situation because I think that there is so much prevention happening uh, from the battery makers to make really safe batteries. Anything can burn if there's a fire around it, whether it's a gasoline car, an electric car. I think that we will move into understanding more about how to extinguish these fires, specifically with electric vehicles. Just like uh, when people move from a horse to a car, we had to figure out how to, instead of maybe picking up the manure, <laughs> we had to figure out what do we do with uh, exhaust fumes and uh, fires in cars. And now we're moving into electric cars where we don't have any exhaust fumes, which is great. And yes, I'm sure there's going to be accidents here and there, but you know, there's no product in the world that are used like a vehicle and therefore there will be accidents. And of course in shipping, you're going to have some accidents as well. But I, I don't think this is a, a sign of anything uh, I would call serious that, that uh, other than we'll learn from it and we'll improve it. Because you're also waiting for your first Fisker Ocean. What do you drive in the interim? Do you still have a Fisker Karma or uh, what are you driving? I have two Fisker Karmas, which I drive regularly. But then I also, of course, have to drive cars that are either competitors or just comparisons. So I've dri driven everything from a uh, Volkswagen ID4 to uh, the Porsche Taycan. Uh, I think the Porsche Taycan, by the way, is probably one of the best cars I've driven in a long time. Quite amazed by that car. Okay, so you are also seeing how some of the uh, the, the competition is, is doing out there. And what we've seen here in Europe is that a lot of people concentrate on the EV-friendly markets of Norway, the Netherlands, a little bit in Germany. You mentioned the center in, in Munich for the Experience Center. Uh, will you be following a similar plan, or do you see the, the Fisker message being sent across Europe? 
No, I mean, eventually it's all across Europe. I think we start in November delivering in five countries in Europe. Obviously, Scandinavia is important. We have uh, a ton of orders from there. Um, and then, of course, we come into the UK next year, about mid-23, and then the rest of Europe in 23. So I think we'll pretty much cover most of Europe uh, already next year. Um, I, I think uh, the trend of electrification is going to happen in every single European country. And the reason is that once you see that wave starting, uh, it's, it's going to spread very quickly across Europe because uh, there will be less gasoline vehicles available and there'll be more electric vehicles available and people will quickly see the benefit of driving an electric vehicle. Um, so I think that it, we, are, we are targeting all of Europe. Okay, so there's a, a, a big market to go after. And uh, last year, we had recently shown the numbers that plug-in hybrids and electric cars combined outsold diesel cars for the first time in the history. So you're right about that big movement um, going forward. That must have been a, a, a nice sort of encouragement for yourself as you <laughs> come into the market in 2022, right? Yeah, you know, I think we're it, it, we are at the right moment right now. I'm I'm really excited that we are launching our vehicle in November and we start deliveries in November. Uh, if it would have been a year earlier, it might have been more difficult. I think this is exactly the right time. I I personally think that the market share is going to be divided up over the next two to three years. Uh, I think if you come out after 2025, a lot of interesting market share has been scooped up or grabbed, quite frankly. And that's really the advantages I think that we have. We have some really exciting vehicles coming out. Uh, we are planning four vehicles before 2025. Each of these vehicles will uh, have at least one feature, preferably two or three features, which is class leading uh, in their segment. Just like the ocean, we have you know the longest range. Uh, we have uh, a rotating 17.1 inch screen. We got a solar roof. We got California mode. So we got a lot of things that makes this car so different that other car makers don't even offer. And when we come out with the pair and two other vehicles, you will see that these vehicles will also offer features and things that nobody else offers. And I think that gives us the chance to grab a relatively large market share because we will have less competition that we obviously would have had if, for example, we were to come up with luxury cars right now because that's starting to become a crowded market. But I think the market below 50,000 euro, uh, euro is, is really the exciting market and it's up for grabs. All right. Well, we look forward to watching your car come on the market later this year and the growth of the Fisker brand in the years to come. And thank you so much, Henrik, for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Thank you, Doc. Good to be here. We reached Henrik Fisker by video chat in London. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for March 3rd, 
2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a &E. Thanks so much for stopping by. We hope you'll tune in again next week.